is about the path that leaders take and finding transformational leadership uh, common qualities, which starts with people who are focused on their values and know their who, and then take a next step of understanding their why or their mission. Then they have a what, they have a, a, a vision of what they want to achieve, and then they figure out how to get there. I'm Emily Shields. And I'm Andrew Seligson. Welcome to the Compact Nation podcast. Hello. How are you guys doing today? I'm good. It's finally fall. So honestly, I've been feeling kind of out of it all week. I don't know. I, I don't do well with changing of seasons. Well, yeah, it's been a little rapid. Like we had 85 degrees here on Tuesday and then yesterday it was like 60. So, and it's like overcast. So it is definitely sweater weather. Um, but the good thing is I get to decorate for fall, which is my favorite. I know I haven't put up Halloween stuff yet, but we did go to the Halloween store recently. So we have some new decorations. Also, they had an entire section of creepy clowns, which I just really can't, that can't be back as a thing but it is my kids are scared of Pennywise like another generation is scared of Pennywise I don't know who Pennywise is it's the clown from it oh see I'm not really into scary movies although you know I'm uh, seeing this uh, series on Hulu called The Librarians my son thinks it's like horrible acting or whatever but I'm totally like hooked on it and they had a scary clown episode too no no I can't don't wanna yeah I agree don't want to. Are you into scary clowns, Andrew? You're looking a little stunned um, or something. Probably be a scary clown for <laughs> Halloween, right? I'm, I mean, uh, I appreciate that endorsement of my acting abilities. That's how I'm going to take that. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I love it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... Um, I don't have any special relationship with scary, scary clowns as a category. I'm not one of those people who's freaked out by clowns. Hmm. I am. I I don't seek out clowns either. (laughs) You know what I mean? Neither freak nor seek out is my position with respect to clowns, scary or otherwise. I have been thinking a lot this week about like um, the urban legends that freak kids out because my son is seven and I'm learning through him about some of the current ones like Jeff the Killer. Anyway, that's a thing. Google it. I don't, but I don't know about don't. any of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm uh, going to take this in a slightly more serious direction. But have you. So, one of the things I've been seeing on Twitter is every time there's some clown imagery used in a thing, discussions about whether this is the white supremacist, like coded version of clowns. I guess there's clown imagery in white supremacist stuff. And so then people are like, are people sneaking white supremacist stuff into these other settings? And it's like, again, kind of sign of the times. Like, that's that's what we have to think about when we see a clown is like, is this? Yeah, I'm I fine with that. If it means we can just be done with clowns. Done with clowns. Yeah, I guess that's the, the maybe for right for clown haters. This is like, OK, fine. No clowns. Perfect. Yeah. Just ban clowns. Yeah. Just ban it. OK, there we go. 
we, we've resolved the clown <laughs> issue. Well, I'm going to um, the Universal Soul Circus today. Um, oh. It's like a basically people of color uh, uh, circus that's been around for 25 years. Uh, it's really like diverse and uh, and it's really like music's great. It's fun and it's uh, primarily served like the African-American communities. Um, so we're going today. My dad turned 70 on Monday. And so we've been doing this um, seven days, seven days for seven decades. So we've been doing something every evening. So tonight oh, cool. we're all going to the circus. So I hope, nice. hopefully there won't be any clowns there. There, and if like, there are, they'll be like funny, not creepy. No, they won't be creepy at all. And they definitely won't be white supremacist clowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you can be reasonably confident in the context you'll be in. Uh, I'm excited. Speaking of stuff we're going to, uh, we're going to a play tomorrow night. I'm, I'm forgetting what night it is. Um, called The Purists, which is hard to say. Um, directed by Billy Porter. No, cool. Mm. Yeah, so it's it's gotten really good reviews, uh, and I don't know that much about it, but I will report back on a future episode of the Compact Nation podcast. But it's supposed to be really good, and seems like if it's directed by Billy Porter, it's going to be interesting. So yeah, yeah. We just went to go see a couple of plays, uh, August Wilson plays. We uh, saw one at Norfolk State. Their theater department, their students were amazing. They did the Gem of the Ocean, and then we saw Chickney in uh in dc um this past weekend it's great i need to see a play sounds like we have uh yeah find yourself a play emily it is it's good right to see a good play seeing a bad play i love it can be painful bad play but good play is an excellent experience um all right we could no doubt talk all day about such matters but true uh we have business to conduct so uh i think we got we have some news items we want to share marisol do you have some uh, tidbits yeah, we're really excited. Our uh, Engaged Scholars Initiative uh, in the Western region just announced its uh, cohort of 13. So we're really excited about that group. Um, we'll be meeting for the first time in November. And we've got our two other cohorts in the Eastern region and the Midwest up and running. And so excited about this new cohort of um leaders um, that we're working with, uh, some amazing folks from uh, all different types of institutions across the country, and then we'll have an opportunity to get them together when we're at the national conference. So um, happy about that. And then um, our webinar series, uh, national webinar series has been going really great, a great turnout. And then our next one is October 17th, uh, using student engagement data to create institutional change. And this is uh, with folks from uh, Nazareth College. So um, if you haven't registered for that, go ahead and go to compact.org and look up webinar series and uh, you can sign up for our upcoming webinars the rest of this year. Excellent. Um, I am excited to share. We publicized recently the winners of our two uh, major faculty awards, uh, the Thomas Ehrlich Award for uh, Civically Engaged Faculty and the Ernest Linton Award for the Scholarship of Engagement. The Linton Award is an early career award. Uh, and this year it went to Christina Santa Maria Graf, who's uh, assistant professor of urban teacher education at IUPUI. And her focus is on 
uh, partnerships that advance the interest of uh, kids with disabilities from Latinx immigrant families. And she, you know, works to build partnerships that advance equity in the context of the whole range of injustices that uh, these kids often face. Uh, and so she's an uh, extraordinary person doing extraordinary work. Um, and then the Ehrlich Award, which is for more senior faculty members, went to Dia Abdo, who is Associate Professor of English at Guilf- Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina. And she's the founder of a project called Every Campus a Refuge, which has uh, been extraordinary. So it started at Guilford, and then they've kind of built the model to spread to other institutions, but to kind of enable colleges and universities to use their resources to become hosts for refugee families coming to the United States. And it's been an occasion to deepen her engaged teaching, uh, getting students involved both in in doing practical work to support families, but also understanding the policy questions, the political questions surrounding these issues, um, and her engaged scholarship. She's done uh, work. She's a literature scholar, but she's done a lot of work on refugee communities and literature connected to it, et cetera. So both great people. We uh, You can look for them uh, on later episodes of the Compact Nation podcast this season. Um, and we will also be celebrating them at our Impact Awards event connected to the Compact 20 uh, conference events out in Seattle in March. Can't wait. Good stuff. Uh, all right. So I want to uh, roll us toward the the conversation for uh, this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with two terrific colleagues, uh, both from Cardinal Stritch University in Milwaukee. So I had a conversation with Dr. Mark Gessner, who is executive director of the Stritch Hub for Innovation and Community-Engaged Learning, and Dr. Cheryl Moore, who is assistant professor and faculty chair of undergraduate programs in the College of Business and Management at Stritch. And the occasion for the conversation is that Mark, along with a co-author, Nancy Stanford Blair, has just uh, brought out a book with Sage Publishing called Your Life is Your Message, Discovering the Core of Transformational Leadership. And uh, we, we thought it would just be an interesting opportunity to talk about what the book is all about, how it connects to Mark's work uh, at Stritch, and also uh, how Cheryl Moore, who participated in some of the activities that sort of was what the book emerged out of, uh, how all this connected to her teaching and the way that she's worked to develop curriculum in the College of Business uh, at Stritch. Um, it turned out, so the, the title of the book, Your Life is Your Message, comes from uh, a quotation from Gandhi. He was asked by a reporter um, what the message of his life's work is, and he said, my life is my message. Uh, and so that's, you know, sort of the, the theme of the book is kind of make, kind of aligning our lives with our values and aligning our work with our, our deepest commitments, et cetera. It turned out that the day we had this conversation was uh, the 150th anniversary of Gandhi's birth. So that was also just a nice uh, kind of confluence. Um, so we uh, we had a, a chat that that you can listen to, um, and again, if you're interested in the book, it's called "Your Life Is Your Message" by uh, Nancy Stanford Blair and Mark Gessner, and we can go to that conversation now. 
Dr. Cheryl Moore and Dr. Mark Gessner. Welcome to the Compact Nation podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us here. Yeah, I appreciate your your taking the time out. Um, Mark, uh, I know that you have just brought into the world, along with your co-author, Nancy Stanford Blair, a new book. And that's the jumping off point for our conversation today. And I'm wondering if you could tell us really a little bit about the book. What, what is the central point of it? Where, where did it come from? You know, what were the motivations that the two of you had? And uh, how did you put it together? What's, what's kind of the story of the book? Sure. Um, the, so the name of the book is Your Life is Your Message, Discovering the Core of Transformational Leadership. And there's, I think, uh, a few key pieces that, that inform this work. Um, so I, I would start with saying for me, I spent a number of years running hostels, running youth hostels. And part of that was welcoming people from all over the world and listening to their stories and being inspired by those stories. And I found that um, exciting, engaging, dynamic people who are leaders in, in many different ways um, come in all shapes and sizes. And there's not a position, title, or any sort of um, preconceived notion of how that person uh, plays out in the world. Leadership comes in many forms. And so years of, of listening to leaders who were travelers who I, were, I was welcoming um, to hostels came with a fascination of what drives people and what's, what's their mission and what does a mission-driven leader look like and feel like and sound like. And then through that, um, through years in the hosteling organization and then my work in higher ed, began to talk with more students, faculty, community partners who were leading in different ways. But it seemed like they were going through a similar path. And the central thesis of the book is about the path that leaders take and finding transformational leadership uh, common qualities, which starts with people who are focused on their values and know their who, and then take a next step of understanding their why or their mission. Then they have a what, they have a, a, a vision of what they want to achieve and then they figure out how to get there. So that path, we really you know, start with who, who you are, and then going through the why, what, and how is the progression of the book. And to get there, we interview, um, co-author Nancy Blair and I interview a hundred different leaders around the world, famous and not so famous, who followed that path. And I, I, not to speak for that, Blair, but this has been, I would say, fair to say her life's work. Um, she helped co-create the doctoral leadership program and co-create a master's in educational leadership here at Cardinal Stritch University. And she's been fascinated by this path and servant leadership uh, throughout her career. And in her own right, um, was a leader in K-12 education and higher ed. So you, you've shared with me that a key step in the process of developing the book was a, a trip that you and Nancy led together uh, to India. And I'm wondering if you could tell me what was the trip all about and how does it connect to the development of the book? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
we led a trip to India um, and we've each had, Nancy and I have both now had the honor of being to India a number of times. This trip that we led a couple of years ago was about following in the footsteps of Gandhi. And in doing so, we not only went to places that were Gandhi Museum or where he, um, where he passed, where he, where he studied at the Sevagram Ashram, where he built community, but also we went to people who were living Gandhi's principles today. And so as we traveled, we learned about his philosophy, but we experienced it as well. And Cheryl was a, a member of that trip, and I think she can speak to some of that impact. But the idea was not only to study the philosophy and the principles of Gandhi, but bring it to life, make it real and present and engage with it, which is what I think Gandhi would would like us to do. So Cheryl, just, uh, yeah, taking the, the invitation that Mark just offered, uh, as a participant in the trip, I'd be interested just in hearing for you personally, for you professionally, in your role as a, a faculty member, a business educator, uh, what, yeah, what, what was the trip all about? How, how does it fit in for you? For me, the trip actually was uh, more on what I would ascribe uh, to as a personal personal journey, very personal with some uh, in deep dive questions, uh, research I was doing in terms of my own soul search, I guess I would put it in. It was not a uh, journey that I considered for an academic uh, pilgrimage or of that sort, but everything worked together. And I think I'm a living model of the who, the what, the why, and those action principles that they have woven together in their work. Uh, I had a deep uh, uh, regard for the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, knowing that he was heavily, heavily influenced by uh, Gandhi's work, philosophy, his principles. Uh, and being um, African-American woman and with the uh, challenges, uh, the um, considerable amount of um, challenge and um, ethics and the morale and um, kind of the the fight and the plague of the African-American community. My deep dive question was uh, centered around what happened after King in terms of looking at African-Americans um, specifically and the motivation to continue in community and, and being business minded, uh, being a collective union, union moving together uh, for a common cause and for social justice. What happened and why the baton did not pass in my view successfully. And so this journey was really to answer and to seek more understanding of that and uh, to allow for organic uh, evolution for a community. And in that, I took that principle and kind of connected it and started the practice, not only in my personal life and in uh, the African-American community, but also in with my students. And uh, the most powerful component was when we were at the ashram and understanding there were 10 uh, principles that they observed and in their lifestyle and understanding that the lifestyle was not to be compartmentalized at my home and in academic, but it was a lifestyle to generate change 
within all, all society. And some of those were truth. That was the first one that when we arrived, it was truth. Uh, chastity, uh, nonviolence, non-possession, non-stealing, um, fearlessness, equality, removal of the untouchability, all of these things and facets that we see in the business world. Really, I took those collectively to form uh, small business groups with our students to really have them in being in their own diverse way to not to approach business with those with those uh, factors as considerations. So it really it, it pushed me further to be uh, more about the action and just not about reading. I wanted the experience to continue to live. I wanted it to breathe. Maybe if, if I could follow up on that, you know, you are obviously an award-winning practitioner of civic and community engagement in your teaching. And you just mentioned some of the ways that you tried to bring some of the kind of principles that you explored through that journey into your classroom. I'm wondering, is there a connection to the, the, the outreach, the civic and community engagement work that pushes out from the campus into the community that, that you've experienced sort of that link between those issues that you've explored and how you've been working uh, kind of outward from the campus? Absolutely. Uh, uh, two facets, actually, and I'll just kind of summarize both. Uh, one specifically was understanding uh, the nature of diversity and inclusion and understand the challenge with small business owners. More importantly, those that uh, are minorities and maybe the less fortunate um, of within our society and within our student body, they are already diverse, but realizing that the challenges and the considerations, their culture, their value system, their beliefs all become at the forefront of whether or not uh, they do they stand for their values and their culture and their beliefs or taking the acculturation theory and putting it where I'm going to lower my standards. I'm going to compromise everything in order to make a bigger bottom line. And the, the consideration for the students was to sit down and before you come up with a business solution, understand the, the, how the foundation of how that business owner uh, ended up. Maybe it was handed down by generation. Maybe it's in their culture uh, to own their own and not borrow money. But to look at some of those innate things that uh, were values become challenged to being successful in the common society. And so the approach of coming up with business solutions and recommendations was not easy because now you have to consider and value and take an authentic look uh, in perspective of that person's being. I take my problems home with me every day. I consider the community that my ser I'm serving. I have to consider the pricing of my goods because of the population that I'm serving. And the students were able to understand uh, in a deeper sense of what's really going on in the community, some of the economic struggles and concerns and the fact that they not all, not all small business owners have access to favorable financing, financials or, or, or to, to mentorships and opportunities. Yeah, if I could just add too, I think something that Cheryl does really powerfully in her classes, we talk a lot about at Cardinal Street University about the Franciscan values, but also about how actions align with values, which is a thread of the book too. And so I think part of what 
you're hearing and part of what Cheryl teaches is, all right, if this is the foundation of who you are, or this is the foundation of the business principles and values, how do you then align your business practices with that framework of values and mission? So it's, it's a different, it adds a layer. Sometimes you hear a lot about triple bottom line, or you hear about the quadruple bottom line that hits things, the return on investment at different levels. And I think part of working with these businesses was you're aware of those different levels from the outset and the students see those levels. And they also have to apply pragmatic skills and different consulting practices, for example, to do an assessment, understand where there are gaps on different levels, and then produce real solutions that are going to be impactful for these businesses. So I think that is, you know, some of what we saw in India. It's, um, it's a, the mark of, of well, mission-driven leaders, right. but it's also pragmatic in terms of business education. Definitely uh, generated from uh, the journey in India and having an opportunity to uh, visualize. It was powerful being in a country that uh, dealt with being overtaken and the challenge and being strategic on fighting for their liberty. And liberty is just not being about being behind bars. Liberty in creating, liberty in their innovation, and liberty in their lifestyle. And having that to be, bring business. And years later, we saw in our, in our journey, even so you still see that they're still trying to find their identity in some sorts, even though we're in, uh, you know, an innovative technological uh, era, they're still building who they are. They're still coming into their own and students have to realize that in building business, it's not an overnight wonder. There's that evolution that it can, continues to kind of morph through. It, and if you want, my, I think it would be helpful to just give a couple examples of businesses they worked with and maybe one, one way they, the students addressed it. Right. Uh, they, one of the businesses, minority businesses actually, was uh, one of two Hmong-owned golf centers. And just in the dealing, and they had to understand uh, the cultural values and beliefs of the Hmong uh, uh, culture and, um, and people and how they saw business and their approach towards business and their ideas about business and their ideas of not being in debt and uh, how that all attributes to a center. And the, and the unique, uh, interesting factor is they are located in a, uh, what we would call uh, um, mid to upper class location on their inner golf uh, location. And so uh, they spent a lot of time really talking to the owners and learning about their values. And that's where they built on, here's your competitive edge. Here's how you build community. Here's how you can partner with other small business vendors to support the idea because they did not want to really lock in with big business owners. They wanted to support other small businesses and to continue generating that. Yeah. I, I also, one of the other examples that stood out to me was the work with Polco. And this is a company that um, has a very sophisticated platform on engaging community input and insights. Sort of, uh, I don't think they'd like to say it, but it's a survey monkey on steroids in a way, much more <laughs> right. sophisticated. I don't know if we should keep that <laughs> in this discussion, but <laughs> it's a sophisticated platform to understanding community sentiment. And in that process, Polko 
was looking at a very confidential acquisition to grow the company and had the students work on some pretty sensitive information. And so they had to understand what it meant, what, what the company was protecting, what the values were and some of the rules, and then how to do the gap analysis and do the market research within the framework of a very specific pathway mission goals that, that the company had. So that was a lot of interesting examples yeah. in Cheryl's senior seminar. I think with the poll call, another interesting point that uh, was very striking to me with that particular student uh, consultative team, they had to do a test run or they had to learn their poll calls platform their assessment because they uh, their focus was on societal issues that they want to be able to get a, a, a pulse check, if you will, of, of our, you know, of our constituents, our community. And the question, they came up with their own questions to run through the student base here. And I was fascinated to find the issues that they surfaced that they thought were concerns of immigration. Uh, import, export taxation, um, diversity, um, gender specifics uh, in terms of business ethics and social injustices towards certain populations. It was fascinating to see how their minds are already moving uh, not only towards what's going on in our community and linking it to business, but they are bold enough to approach those type of intense topics. So there, there's so much here uh, that would be fantastic to pursue. And I think one of the things that, you know, is striking is that, you know, we're talking about business education, which many people have a kind of uh, superficial view is just about profit, shareholder value, et cetera, and nothing else. And so to hear these examples of how these deep values questions interweave into business education, I think is really interesting. Mark, I'm wondering if you can say a little bit, obviously the, the unit that you lead, the Stritch Hub for Innovation and Community Engaged Learning, the way I think about it, having learned a little bit about your work, is that you play a catalytic role in a whole range of units across campus, academic and non-academic co-curricular. And I'm wondering, can you, can you say something about how the ideas in, in the book and that we've just been talking about through the kind of experience in India and otherwise, how that has informed the work of the hub and, and your work more broadly? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, um, which I appreciate. And I think part of our challenge in our hub is uh, when you innovate, part of that is risk-taking. Um, and part of it is to inspire change that's really impactful in a good way for the community and, and the campus. And so when we look at different programs we're creating or growing, we look a lot about how are we having a transformational leadership role with the community, with the people that these different programs serve, how we're looking at whether it's leadership um, or literacy or entrepreneurism. We're always looking at the synergy of that community or the ecosystem around those principles. Let me just give you a few examples. So um, among the programs in our hub is the African-American Leadership Program. Um, there is a mission fuel nonprofit accelerator that teaches nonprofits how to diversify revenue streams and be more sustainable. 
There's youth literacy education. There's a new Center um, for Excellence in Public Safety Leadership that we actually have a conference that we're uh, launching next week with police chiefs and, and sheriffs. And in all of those, a fundamental piece of what we're doing is we're talking about mission-driven leadership. What are the core values that you have as the participant, um, whether you're an aspiring African-American leader, whether you're a public safety official, whether you're a nonprofit leader, how are you making the ties between your values, the mission, what you want to achieve, the social impact you want to have, and how you're going to get there? So those are threads that at least I always try to work with those the talented people who lead these programs and also in, in, um, with the faculty and our experiential learning and career education is also in this hub. How do you infuse this into the very fabric of the programs? So it's not an add-on, it's, it's integral. Even though they're different content areas, um, it's that, that theme and that progression, I think, that we saw, Nancy and I saw, as we interviewed all these folks. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I know that um, institutionally at Cardinal Stritch, a part of your story has been uh, connected to us at Campus Compact in the sense that your civic action planning work has kind of played a role in how you've pulled some of these things together. I'm wondering if you could just say a little bit about that experience. Yeah, absolutely. The Civic Action Plan was a great catalyst in and of itself for the university in first understanding what we currently did. We really did an inventory of all the ways in which we engage with the community. And then we challenged ourselves to say, all right, how is this further infused into the fabric of this institution? While here at Cardinal Stritch, Franciscan values really guide everything we do, how else pragmatically are we living out these values? And the Civic Action Plan really captured that. We had a group of people from across campus of diverse disciplines and roles, and they saw it from their lenses. What does civic action mean to you from where you sit in this department or uh, this, this discipline? And... So it was interesting to document all of that and then grow it and talk about civic action in the, in the promotion and tenure process for faculty. Talk about civic action of the sort that Cheryl's talking about in, in curriculum and how do you put, infuse it into that. Let's talk about our community partnerships and how are we making sure to have those principles of reciprocity, mutually beneficial partnerships in, you know, in, in infusing civic action into that. So it really was catalytic and it was also very pragmatic because it became part of our student handbook, our employee handbook. We went before faculty senate. We went before the leadership of the university multiple times in terms of executive leadership. So civic action plan became um, in no way just a, a document. It became an action steps for us and we continue to use that as a live document and see how it's growing and infusing as we do new planning for the university. And as I understand it, oh, go, go ahead, Cheryl. Yeah. I was just going to say, and powerfully so, we see that more um, in terms of our community and our faculty. I have had the opportunity to mentor several businesses attend uh, community uh, business functions, uh, be a part of serving on several panels, um, just a part of re-emphasizing the importance and connecting uh, what we're doing here with the community and uh, also not being afraid 
I believe, which was, came out of our trip to India to uh, have an active, an, an active and an action voice in the community um, that continues to build the brand um, for social justice. And, and I know that one happy outcome of your civic action planning process was the creation of uh, the Presidential Award for Civic Action and Engagement, which then, Cheryl, as I understand it, you are uh, the recipient of. So uh, it's also uh, great for just honoring and recognizing the terrific work that you've been able to share with us today. So I really appreciate uh, learning about that. And uh, Mark, if folks want to go out and get themselves a copy of Your Life is Your Message, Discovering the Core of Transformational Leadership, how would they do that? Well, thanks for asking, Andrew. Um, they would go to Amazon, and I think that's the easiest way. It's published by Sage. If you put in Your Life is Your Message on Amazon, you'll certainly find it in that way or go to the Sage publisher site. And we will also uh, put a link in the show notes. And Mark, do you, any, any final thoughts you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I, I think just to, to emphasize part of what's in the book, I think are some really fascinating lessons from leaders around the world. Um, we talked to famous folks like former you know, CEOs of Harley Davidson and Southwest Airlines, former prime minister, of New Zealand and leader of Girl Scouts USA. So a lot of people who have seen um, and done quite impressive things on a, on a national or global level around the world, but also folks you've never heard of and who are living these things really powerfully, whether it's a social activist um, or someone fi fighting poverty in India, um, whether it's uh, a, good, a good colleague and friend of mine who created an eco-lodge in Belize, and lived out his vision, or local community development folks. The point is that transformational leadership happens in lots of different ways by all sorts of, of people, and any one of us can be and live that kind of transformational leadership. And I would say certainly uh, Dr. Cheryl Moore does it here at the university, and I hope that's part of, the, of what we're trying to do um, and get that word out, that whether you're a student, whether you're a, a new professional, or seasoned leader, there's wonderful exemplars of all sorts out there, and there's a path they followed. The book calls attention to that, and also is a really pragmatic, has pragmatic tools for people to do it themselves. So the connections to our trip, um, the connections to the work here at Cardinal Stritch University, and I think for Nancy and me, our, our life's work um, is, is threaded through the book. Well, for me, I think the, the test of any work is whether it prompts people to thoughtful and enlightening conversation. And uh, your work has already accomplished that. I've, I've really appreciated and learned a lot from both of you today. So I, I thank you so much uh, for taking the time to speak with us on the Compact Nation podcast. And I thank you for the work you do and for your partnership in advancing this work uh, in the Milwaukee area and Wisconsin and across the country. So. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we are proud hosts of Campus Compass, Campus Compact for Wisconsin here at Cardinal Stretch. So we appreciate the collaboration yeah. through and through. Thank and you. We appreciate that. Thank you both. Bye-bye.
All right. Uh, I hope you uh, enjoyed and were enlightened by that conversation. Uh, as is our practice this season on the Compact Nation podcast, we are now going to uh, get into the Marie Kondo zone and uh, and talk about a thing that sparks joy for us that either popped up in our world recently or that for some reason or another we've been reflecting on. Uh, Marisol, what's your uh, sparks joy this week? Mm, I think it um, relates to kind of what I mentioned earlier about um, going to see live theater and uh, just the power of that space. I had a chance to take uh, my son Diego with me and, and seeing his reaction uh, really that sparked a lot of joy for me um, and thinking about the power of theater uh, to communicate messages. All right. I like it. Live theater does indeed spark joy. As we said, it, it can spark other things, which is part of the, the beauty of all of it. Uh, Emily, what do you got? So mine is more related to the fact that it is right now football season. And uh, how that relates to our work is what I'll get to. So Grinnell College is in Iowa, and they're known for many things good things, but not the success of their football team. Their football team is, in fact, 3-37 and 37 since 2016, which for the non-sports fans means they've won a total of three games in the past few years. They also just recently decided to cancel the rest of their season because they've had a bunch of injuries on their team and just don't feel like they can safely continue now. Why that's sparking joy for me is that we act, we have a student leadership conference coming up in November called the Civic Action Academy. And members of the Grinnell College football team proposed a session that they are going to present at our conference about what that lack of success on the football field has taught them about having a growth mindset and about what it takes to persist and make social change. So we're very excited to see these football players come and talk about um, how they have turned this adversity that they've faced, at least on the football field, into how they think about the role they want to play in the world. So um, it wasn't a session we were necessarily expecting. And I'm really excited to hear what they have to say. I think it'll be an interesting perspective. I like it. Uh, as a, a sports fan who spends much of my life trying to figure out ways to claim that there's social value in this way, I like to spend my time. This is this is uh, there you I'm, go. I'm I interested. thought you would like it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so the thing that uh, sparks joy for me uh, is very kind of nerdy and, and on message and on point. Weird. I'm just going with it. I know. That's it's a so surprise. surprising. Right? So yeah. Uh, so I saw a job announcement the other day for the Teresa M. Fisher Endowed Professor for Citizenship Education at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. And so I, you know, was thinking, who do I know that maybe I'll send this to? What list should I be sharing this with? Whatever. But I therefore read the announcement and it just got me really excited. So University of Missouri, St. Louis, we in Campus Compact know well as a terrific, engaged institution uh, that has they've done a lot of things for and with us. They hosted one of our national civic action planning institutes a couple of years ago. Um, they you know, they're just a deeply engaged institution in St. Louis. 
um, and, a, and a really great university. Um, this uh, endowed professorship is, as it sounds like, focused on citizenship education, um, partnerships with K-12 schools for civic education, et cetera. But one of the things that jumped out at me was the announcement says the Fisher professorship is part of the Desley Collaborative Vision, a community of 35 endowed professors across disciplines who are collectively dedicated to linking the knowledge and resources of universities with community partners through collaboration with an emphasis on increasing opportunity for underserved populations. And I was like, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and, you know, it just like was one of those moments where you just think like if 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 we could make these kinds of commitments, uh, we we have enormous opportunities. So to to see that and that announcement, which I hope people, you know, if you're listening and that that might be you, you should go take a look at that opportunity. But also just to think about the power of those kinds of linkages uh, was was for me joy sparking. So that's where we are. Yes. Uh, all right. I think um, that is the Compact Nation podcast for this round. Thanks for listening. And as always, don't forget to rate and review our show. If you have any questions or suggestions, email us at podcast at compact.org or chime in on social media with hashtag Compact Nation pod. Thank you all uh, Thanks, guys. for being here. Great to talk to you. Likewise. Bye. Compact Nation podcast comes to you from Campus Compact's national headquarters in the Leather District of Boston, Massachusetts. Our hosts are Marisol Morales, Emily Shields, and me, Andrew Seligson. Our producer is Molly Altiorem Leeper. Music is by Andrew Savage. You can find more of his music at andrewsavage.net. As always, you can find us online at compact.org slash podcast or on social media at hashtag compactnationpod. Thanks for listening. I am the podcat.